Hello and welcome to the middle of culture. I am one of your co-hosts, Brayden. And I'm your other co-host, Peter. Usually we say our last names, but I didn't say my last name this time for some reason. But I was just it's a secret now because I figure if they're coming in at episode seven and they don't know, well, then that's their loss. They'll have to go back and listen to the previous episodes to find out what our super secret last names are. Or, I know, because it's super uncommon, it is very easy to track you down by your last name alone, oh, totally. especially in this country filled with very few people who have this last name. I mean, that's your why surname, we have to be careful. Unique among a bunch. Because exactly. it's such a unique name that if we said it, we could easily get doxxed. Uh, I'm expecting a swatting any minute now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, speaking of swat, speaking of... Oh, of, oh that was uh, good. That was good. <laughs> Uh, speaking of hyper-powered, uh, I did not. Speaking of hyper-powered violent cops, let's talk about a hyper-powered violent cop movie. Okay, let's do it. This episode, we are going to be talking about uh, a film from 1995 uh, called Ghost in the Shell. Maybe you've heard of it. I know I had. Heard of it, at least. Uh, but you had never seen it before, correct? But I hadn't. It was one of those... You know, I'd seen, I mean, I think of, especially in, in kind of the anime se- section, I'd seen the cover of Akira and I'd seen Ghost in the Shell and probably a few others that I can't think of. But that was about, literally, that was all I knew about it other than, and I know I can already hear the just anguish from people who may be listening to this. But I did see a few years ago the 2017 live action version, and I hadn't seen the original. So <laughs> that I'm just I'm owning that. I'm being honest with the listeners so that they know that my only experience really with Ghost in the Shell was the Scarlett Johansson version, which is widely derided, if I understand correctly. Um, I was uh, I watched it on your Plex server, and uh, you know how Plex likes to import data from other places. Oh yeah, looks like it got a forty-two percent uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, so certified rotten. I mean, and the uh, the uh, audience score was fifty-three percent. That's actually better than I thought it was going to be. Well, and here's the thing. Normally, I'm really excited about seeing a movie that's in the 40s or 50s because usually that means that it's got something going on. That Because a universally derided film is going to be universally bad. A universally praised film is often going to be mediocre to good, but often be, by being overly and universally praised, you're like, there was too much appeal and therefore it was too schmaltzy, you know? Mm. But you give me a good solid like, 65% fresh, and I'm like, mm. but 45% fresh, that's the danger zone. 50 to 65, that's the good stuff right there. <laughs> you know, you never really know what you're getting with that. That is true. I'm just, you know, I'm just a contrarian in heart. That's just who I am. <laughs> My relationship with Ghost in the Shell is quite different. Um, I saw the original film kind of close to when it came out, back when I was in high school. Um, and I was wowed by it. Uh, and I had since I've watched it many times. It, I would rank it in easily my top 25, maybe my top 10 favorite films. Um, despite okay. many problematic things in it, which I'm sure that we'll talk about. Lots of my favorite films have problematic aspects to them. Sure. Lots of uh, things do good and bad. Lots of things do. 
but I but I have a lot of affection for it. Um, I have also watched both seasons of the uh, the not the spinoff show because it's not it's not a spinoff. It is explicitly another retelling another universe of the ghost in the shell concept, which is the TV show standalone complex, Okay, uh, which has two seasons. Um, the first of which is extremely good. And the second of which kind of falls off a cliff in a lot of ways that would come to be in the 2017 movie, which we could talk about if we get to that. Hmm. Um, and then I have also read the original Masamune Shiru uh, manga. I, sitting on my desk right here, I recently got the nice. I, I had, you know, pirated a copy years ago when it was kind of out of print or hard to find in English. Um, but they recently Kodansha, Kodansha makes really great reprints of like seminal comics works that they've published previously. Mm-hmm. My very nice 35th anniversary box set of Akira was published by them. And it's incredible because it was the first time that it was published in the traditional right to left reading. Um, and it's really nice hardcovers, my very nice hardcovers of magic Knight Ray earth are from Kodansha. And so too with the ghost in the shell manga, when it was republished in probably 2017, 2018 by Kodansha, it was the first time that it was published in right to left format, unedited, um, and all that sort of stuff that had kind of been taken out of the nineties printing of it. So I just barely reread that original, like original format version this last week. So I'm kind of fresh on ghost in the shell all told. Very nice. Well, like I say, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to hearing, uh, hearing about it and, and hopefully understanding it a little bit more, uh, in talking with you about it. Cool. So I'm thinking first thing we'll do is do like a setup of what the plot of the movie is without spoilers. We could talk about our reactions. We can talk about the other media that it interacts with. And then we can have a big spoiler section at the end, kind of like we did with Dune or, yep. or uh, the Emperor's Soul, things like that. That sounds great. Let's do it. So, Ghost in the Shell, 1995. The concept is, it's the future. Cybernetics are everywhere. But Many can people I just, have... Can I just say really quick... I was a little disturbed at how not far in the future it is from 2022. <laughs> I uh, was like, do you remember what the date was for 99 for the 95 film? Yeah. Isn't it like 2029 or 2028? It's somewhere like that. Yeah. I know specifically that standalone complex takes place in 2030. Yeah. It was either 2028 um, or 2029. Cause I remember going, Oh shit. This is like six or seven years. I, in some ways, I'm sad that we're not even close to that. In other ways, I am so glad we are not even close to that. But anyway, yes. that, was, that just struck me that I was like, oh, man, this is like this decade. This this takes place in this fictional world, but only like six or seven years in the future from where we're at right now. I thought that kind of blew my mind a little bit. <laughs> Yeah. And by that point, there'd been two more world wars because I don't think this ever is in the movie, but in both the show and the manga, it specifically mentions that this is a post-World War IV world um, where the United States has completely fallen apart. There is no more United States. Um, It has fallen to tribal warring factions, essentially. And Japan is like the last bastion of civilization in a time of complete and utter tumult and upheaval. Okay. Um, and yeah, I really think 
that aspect, going off on what you just said before I get back to the summary, that aspect is one of my favorite things about cyberpunk. I really like cyberpunk as a genre. Almost every other something punk I hate, mm-hmm. like steampunk, Yeah, get out of here with that. I hate steampunk. Also, it's usually super colonialist and racist that also I hate about steampunk because it's like, ooh, let's go back to the Empire days. And I'm like, no, Empire bad. Uh, but I really love cyberpunk. So it's really weird to watch like those seminal cyberpunk classes that came out in the 80s or 90s and see those dates having already passed. Like, for example, uh, Blade Runner takes place in 2018. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, that hurts. (laughs) It hurt my soul when I when I rewatched it before going to see Blade Runner 2049. And I was like, oh, this took place last year uh, and I don't have my flying car yet. Granted, I also don't live in a hellscape of Los Angeles because the rest of the United States is blighted and the rich people are living on another planet, but I also don't have a flying car. That's true. So pros and cons. Um, Or even other things. I have recently been playing Cyberpunk 2077. Have you ever played that game? No, I, of course, am the sucker who pretty sure I pre-ordered it and all that crap. And then the reviews weren't great. And it was one of those that I was like, you know what? I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait until it's had a patch or two. And it sounds like now with version 1.5, it's time for me to get into it, but I have not yet. That is exactly what happened to me other than the pre-ordering part. I thought about pre-ordering and then people were like, I, at that point I did not have a computer that could play it. So I knew I was going to have to play it on console. And the only console I owned was the PS4. Um, And I knew that people were saying, the Xbox One and PS4 versions of this game are rough. Yeah. So I chose not to buy it. Uh, but I have a much better computer, and I've been thinking a lot about Cyberpunk. Uh, so yesterday at work, I just checked on uh, uh, GOG and saw, ooh, what's on sale for their spring? Oh, Cyberpunk's on sale for half off. Ooh, nice. Maybe I should go play Cyberpunk. So I was up till midnight last night playing Cyberpunk. Um But one of the funny things about Cyberpunk 2077, again, going back to what we were talking about, is one of the main characters in that game is a digital person, which this all kind of relates to what we'll be talking about, is a digital person who died in 2020. Wow. So there are flashbacks to 2020, and again, it's like this hyper-fantastical cyberpunk world. And why did they pick 2020? Because the original tabletop game in 1984 that, you know, Steve Naismith meant, or Mike Naismith meant, I mean, uh, created was called Cyberpunk 2020 because that was where it was set, the far future of 2020 from 1984, which just made me, you know, feel like I was an aged, aged creature. Oh, I feel like I'm crumbling to dust right now just talking about it. So true. So true, bestie. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but anyway, so <laughs> so ghost in the shell, <laughs> ghost in the shell, uh, you know, it sets up that there are people who enhance their bodies with cybernetics or there are people who replace their bodies entirely with cybernetic bodies. Um, and that's kind of the state of the world. Um, however, there are still nations, there are still divisions among people, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then it follows a team of special agents from a Japanese um, kind of uh, governmental agency called Section 9. Um, it's kind of the equivalent of like like a CIA or an FBI sort of thing. 
Um, but in Japan, this is true today as it is in the fantasy cyberpunk world. Those are all called sections and they're all given numbers. So like section six deals with uh, foreign affairs and section nine deals with cyber crimes and that kind of stuff. So it is about this team of agents from section nine. You've got the major, uh, Motoko Kusanagi, who's the ostensible main character of the film. Um, she's the one who everyone has seen the picture of. She has the Ramona Flowers haircut, um, looks badass as hell all the time because she is. Um, there's Bateau, who is kind of the bruiser of the team. There's Togusa, who's the new guy. Um, there's uh, uh, um, Ishikawa, who's kind of the computery guy. Um, there's Saito, who's like the sniper. And then they're all led by Aramaki, who is the leader of Section 9. Um, and all of these people, with the exception of Togusa, barely, have all either augmented or been replaced with cyber parts. So it deals a lot with, like, um, questions about bodies and, and what does a body mean and, and how do bodies work? Um, and as they're going through, you know, fighting terrorists and all this kind of stuff, they stumble onto a, an entity called the Puppet Master, um, who's trying to come into contact with them and bring section six and section nine into conflict with one another over the puppet master. Um, and things kind of go from there while asking questions about uh, what is a person mm-hmm. um, and how how does physicality um, make a person or does it at all? Um, and questions about embodied natures and things like that. Um but basically, that's the premise of the film: is it's a co- it's cops, it's cops being cops, uh, lots of lots of cool cop action, fighting against sometimes bad guys, but often other cops, which always fun for cop on cop violence. Um, and that's kind of the premise of the film. Would you add anything to the premise there? No, I don't think so. I think you covered it pretty well. And that's kind of the thing: is is there's not a whole lot that happens in the 1995 film. Um, I have often called it a tone piece, uh, more than a film, uh, because of the way that it's structured, um, and things like that. Uh, and obviously it gets a lot messier in the new movie and in the standalone complex, because suddenly it's like, well, it can't just be a tone piece. It has to have overwrought plot. That's the point of movie and TV shows. You've got to, you got to have overwrought plot and overwrought dialogue, but that is definitely, I think, missing from the film, I think to its benefit, but other people might think to its detriment. But, uh, I guess, what did you think about this? Oh, go ahead. So just kind of dovetailing on that thought, you mentioned a lot of, you, you said something to the effect of, you know, a lot of police action. And I, when you said that, I thought to myself, no, there really wasn't that much. Like there's a few little set piece moments, but overall it was in a lot of ways, a very sleepy sort of film. Does that make sense? I, like I said, I, I think that this movie deals a lot with tone and with quiet in a way that you would not expect from what is ostensibly an action movie. Yeah. Um, because when you see it advertised, I think that you're exactly right that the focus is on those splashy action set pieces, which when the action goes off, it's really cool. Like it, the animation is on point. The, the action is propulsive and kinetic, but 
There are also huge stretches of this movie where it is looking at skylines or looking at, you know, people in their day-to-day life, quotidian behaviors, um, and and I think that that builds a tone and and creates a world that feels inhabited in a way that I think is missing in a lot of of uh, speculative cinema, especially. Sure. There's nothing worse to me than when I watch a movie and the place does not feel lived in. And yeah. the best science fiction movies do that. That's part of why Blade Runner is also in my top 10 movies of all time. Blade Runner feels like an embodied lived in universe. Uh-huh. And I think that that's what you get with Ghost in the Shell as well. But yeah, so I can see that. Overall thoughts. First time seeing this film, you've heard it talked about for a couple decades, people saying, oh, it's so good. What did you think about it? I have been... And no judgment here. This is a judgment-free zone. Oh, of course, of course. And I'm not worried about that. I'm trying to think how to best put it. I was talking to my youngest son about it today when I, I picked him up from school and we had to go get crickets for the uh, leopard gecko, you know, good times. And uh happened to mention that I finished it and I said... I think the way I best described it is I did not dislike the movie, but I didn't like it either. It was, you know, there, it wasn't anything that I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I watched that. Um, what a waste of my time. I, I certainly didn't feel that way, but at the same time I had zero desire to watch it again to engage in the ghost in the shell IP in any sort of fashion going forward. It wasn't anything that I was like, okay, I want to know more about this world. I want to check out, you know, you know, the TV show or I want to read it. Oh, good heavens. Don't even get me started on how I can't do that. But, um, so it was, it was there. It was interesting, but it didn't engage me enough that I wanted to, interact with it further. I think that's the best way I can put it. So you're saying I shouldn't put standalone complex on your Plex server. I'm saying you could put it on there all you want. <laughs> Heck, I'll even put it on there for you, but I don't know that I'm going to watch it anytime soon. I got the I got the Blu-rays, baby. You know I got the Blu-rays. Physical media. I, I am the kid who loves physical media. There's a reason why I carried this huge manga to Utah and back with me so that I could read it instead of reading it on a device like a normal person i just like the haptic experience of owning media because i'm a collector well look you're also Um, talking to the person who literally while we were recording just got the email from kickstarter that they had successfully collected the pledge for the brandon sanderson for surprise novel kickstarter that of course i kickstarted at the level where i get the hardback versions in addition to the ebooks and the audiobooks and then all the swag boxes that come for the whole year because I too am a collector. I also have sitting behind me a record player and in this office at least 200 <laughs> records with probably another four to 500 downstairs. So no judgment when it comes to physical media here, even though I don't have a lot of uh, movies on physical media, no judgment. I get the physical thing. Totally. I just don't want, I don't want to lose them. So I got to have them on physical media. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, as I said, I really like this movie. Um, I think that a lot of what this movie does is not replicated in the other Ghost in the Shell media. 
Um, while I have experienced a lot of it, not all of it, I have never seen the Arise series, which is yet another uh, iteration of the series. Um, I I am planning to after watching this because unlike you, when you finished watching it, you were like, I don't need to engage with this anymore. I immediately popped open my standalone complex Blu-ray through the first disc in and watched all four of those episodes. Yeah. Because I like Ghost in the Shell. I like a lot of the concepts. I think the major is one of my favorite characters in media, even though her portrayals are so different. And in and to be fair, in the film, you don't get a lot out of her. She's no. incredibly um, stoic. And I think, and that's true of everyone. Bateau also extremely stoic. People yes. don't talk in this movie. There's a lot of silence in this film. Um, and I think that works to the film's benefit um, and adds to that feeling of being a tone piece uh, that I talked about. And I thought that it made, it certainly made it interesting you know, it didn't feel like your standard action movie, which I appreciated that aspect of it. I'm also really tired. And so I was <laughs> like, oh boy, like I, I started this last night, watched some of it. And then as soon as my boys got home from their young men's activities, I was like, okay, cool. Perfect excuse for me to turn it off. And hey, boys, do you want to watch the first episode of Moon Knight? Which is what we then did. So then I finished it up when I got home from uh, work today because I finished surgery a little earlier than expected because I'm really fast and I was really fast today. So I finished it then because I'm like, I think I need it to be day while I'm watching this so that I'm not feeling sleepy and like I'm going to go just zonk out while I'm watching it because it is a little slow. It It is. And it it also feels like um very kind of vignette to a certain extent yes it feels like there are kind of a, especially the first part it feels like there's a series of vignettes um rather than a coherent story until the puppet master appears um and and, and i don't know i feel like it really works for me um and you know i actually want to change a word that i used and instead of saying that it's a very that it felt like a slow movie i actually to the movie's credit, I want to say instead that it feels very deliberate because yes. I don't think that it's, again, I only watched it the once, but it didn't feel slow because somebody didn't know how to make an action movie. It felt slow because it deliberately wanted to do that. It was all very intentional, very purposeful and very deliberate in the pacing in, I think that sort of vignette nature you know, the one that really sticks out to me is where um, Major, I, I think, because again, it doesn't give you a whole lot of clues at certain points in this movie, but I think she's just like going to work. And there's this like five minute scene with just this, you know, music is going and then it's just like little scenes and it's kind of her. And then it's somebody, it's like, is she seeing herself in somebody else? But then there is a couple walking along the street and she's just kind of on the bus and there's not a scrap of dialogue and it literally is just a thing. And then all of a sudden the next scene, you know, the boss of section nine or whatever says something to the effect of, uh, you could at least apologize for being late to work or something like that. But, you know, it was just this weird little kind of in the middle of the movie, this, this vignette that it just didn't work for me, but I appreciated what the movie was trying to do with it. And see, that is maybe my favorite part of the film is that 
part in the middle where the the theme song comes back because I really I, I love the soundtrack to this film and I find that and you probably were like I don't really care about this um, <laughs> no uh, there were parts the, of it that I was like oh my gosh fingernails chalkboard hair is racing oh, on the I back love of it. my neck oh I love it <laughs> um that and that scene that theme music that comes from the credits when it starts up again and there is that just you know she sees herself and again there's a lot of um implication there that builds off of what was in the manga but most importantly i think a thing that needs to get out of the way immediately is that the manga is while this movie takes bits and pieces of the of of the plot of the manga it's not like this at all it's so goofy like it is often very very funny um and has kind of a very light tone um and uh has a lot of like funny dialogue between the characters in that version the major is is kind of a goofball huh. which is not at all what you get out of the movie no um but one of the things that is uh, established in the comic that i think is what you get out of that the major specifically chose a body that is unassuming and that is actually at least in the in the in the comic she specifically picks a body that is a cheap sex bot body so that no one will notice her huh so that she can move through the world as almost a ghost because nobody knows who she is nobody looks twice at sex bots walking around and she is instead the most advanced cybernetic person maybe on the planet at that moment uh-huh. but she's chosen to look unassuming and so that's what you get out of that when you see another her in the window of a restaurant writing in a notebook it is that that feeling of like I am I am pretending to be a normal person while I am not. And that is often who the major is uh, outside of just that scene. She is pretending to be a normal person. She is trying to be a normal person, but there is something off. And yeah. she is trying to figure out what that is. And that is why she, you know, dives to the bottom of the ocean and, and prays that her uh, ballast devices will bring her back up because otherwise she's going to die down there. Yeah. But she just does it because at least down there she can feel something. And, you know, she says, you know, that's another one of those scenes that like they do that in the 2017 movie. And I'm like, you guys, you missed the boat entirely. You missed what that scene was about. Because like in the 2017 movie, uh, Bateau asks the major, you know, why do you go diving down there? And she's just like, uh, you know, to feel something. But like. In the 1995 movie, when Bateau asks her, what do you do when you get down there? Like, like, why do you do that? What do you see in the ocean? She says, fear, loneliness, anxiety, darkness, and maybe hope. Yeah. So in other words, she's feeling those feelings that all of us feel all the time. You know, like that feeling of fear and uncertainty and anxiety and darkness, but also hope for the future and hope that things might turn out okay. You know, and I just, I don't know. I find that really affecting. I really enjoy that scene as well. Yeah, I can see that. And it, again, is one of those scenes that is very deliberate 
in that you've got the music and you've got this real slow kind of her floating back up to the surface. And, and it, I could see, or, or rather I felt like I could feel what they were going for. It just kind of only halfway worked for me. And part of that Makes I sense. think is, is just me. I, I don't know. Like I'm the first to admit that I have a bit of a mental block when it comes to anime, when it comes to manga, when it, I mean, I, I can't do JRPG games. There's something about them that doesn't click for me. I've tried to watch anime some in the past. I remember, oh, I was in medical school and it was when uh, Princess Mononoke was like the hotness and everybody was like, oh, this is so good. And I borrowed it from a friend and I watched it and I was like, what the hell did I just watch? And I gave him back the <laughs> DVD and he was like, what'd you think? And I was like, that was great. And then I turned around and walked out and I was like, I am never going to watch that again. And, and so I think there's, oh, see, I love, I love Mononoke. Mononoke is one of my favorite Ghibli movies. <laughs> I have never watched another Ghibli movie because I watched that one first. And I was like, no, I will not That's watch fair. you do not get me to try and watch a Ghibli movie. I will not do it. That's fair. <laughs> but to, to be fair, it is kind of an outlier with the rest of the Ghibli movies because it is far more adult, far more action or action oriented. Most of the Ghibli movies are just like having a good time and watching kids do kid things. Yeah. Just no, I'm just not interested. And you know, <laughs> I've tried to watch like again, the other one that was all the rage a few years ago, everybody was talking about attack on Titan and I was home alone one weekend. And I was like, great, it's on Netflix. Let me start watching it. And I watched the first episode and then I tried to watch the second episode. And I was like, I am so not into this. And so I feel like, and I, and I don't know, I cannot articulate what this brain block that I have is with things like anime. But I think that that's part of what prevented me from really clicking with this. The other thing That's I'll mention is if we go back a few episodes, we talked about how for me, the number one thing I need in fiction is to connect with the characters. And I don't know why, but that's just the thing that will get me and will draw me into whatever it is, whether it's something I'm reading, something I'm watching or a game that I'm playing the number one thing that is going to keep me coming back or really get me engaged is do I have a connection to the characters? And as you kind of said, there is no connection with the characters in this show. And, and again, I think that some of that is deliberate, but particularly major as, as you said, ostensibly the main character of this feels so cold and so distant and, and that, that I just never felt any sort of connection or interest with the characters. So as she's struggling with the ideas of, am I real? Am I, am I alive? Am I not alive? What is living and all this kind of stuff? I was like, those are interesting questions, but I don't really care about you enough to know what you answer, what answers you find. That's fair. I will say while the major is ostensibly the main character, she's not my favorite character. My favorite character is my beefy boy, Bateau. He's always my favorite character <laughs> in every version of Ghost in the Shell. Bateau team forever. He's my favorite dude. I just love that guy. Except for in the movie, he was bad. 
the 2017 movie. Even though they tried, he tried. The guy playing him really tried. It was not good. I yeah. really hated it. Yeah. Um, oh, one thing I wanted to ask you before we went any further. How did you watch this movie in terms of its uh, its uh, uh, audio? Did you watch the Japanese with subtitles or did you watch the dub? I knew you were going to ask that question. I'm not going to judge. It's a good dub. No, there's somebody's going to judge. Because if there's one thing I know about anime is that the dubs versus subs debate is a heated, passionate one. And so I'm going to answer with, I did both, damn it. What happened was last night when I first turned it on, I was really tired, and I was not keeping up with the subtitles. So I turned, I switched to the dub version, and then still had the subtitles up for a little bit until I realized that the subs and the dub dialogue is vastly different. And incredibly so. so it was very disorienting to hear what they're saying. And then I'm reading something that, yes, the intent was similar, but it was, whew, it was not there. So then I had to turn the subs off. And then when I came back to it today, I, which is, I only watched like 20 minutes last night. So I will say I at least watched about an hour today and that I did, um, with the subtitles in the Japanese because in part, the voice actor for Major was driving me crazy. I disliked that person's voice so much that that yeah, was why I, don't, I switched. Yeah, that's fair. I like I say, I'm not going to judge anyone who watches this in uh, in dub format because it is a good dub as far as dubs go. Lots of dubs are bad, um, but I'm not going to judge anyone who watches a dub for anything because sometimes you need to be able to not be looking at the screen the whole time. It's one of the things that I think prevents me from watching more anime um, because there are a lot of shows that I really like, uh, but if I know I have to watch it with subs, I it takes me a lot longer. Yeah. Would love to finish Gundam, but Gundam takes forever when you can't watch it with dubs. Well, um, you know, it's one of the... And one of the reasons, and, and again, I'm sure that somebody's going to hate what I'm going to say, and that's okay. But one of the reasons why... I wanted the, one of the other reasons I wanted to watch the dubbed version is because I didn't want to be looking at the bottom of the screen. I wanted to be looking at the artwork. I was trying to appreciate the artwork and the animation because I love that stuff. You know, I've never been one of those people who's like, Oh, animation is just for kids. Cause I think animation can be amazing and I love animation and I love the fact that you can do things with animation that you just can't do in real life. And, and now with CGI, that, that gap is, is changing, but you know, there's just fantastical things you can do with animation. And I wanted to look at that instead of be looking at that and then looking down at the screen, then up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. And, um, so that was one of the reasons why I actually, one of the other reasons why I wanted to try it with the, the dub version. Um, but again, I think it was the, I think it was that scene we were talking about where she's floating up out of the water. Um, it was where I had paused it last night and that's where I picked it up today. And as soon as she gets out of the, like, I just, I could not handle the voice actor. And so I switched over at that point. <laughs> um, but you know, that's, that's uh, like I say, that's one of the drawbacks to watching it with the subtitles is it, I do feel at least for me that it's pulling my eye away a little bit from really being able to just kind of look at the screen and take in what's happening and enjoy uh, the visual aspect of it. Sure. 
And I mean, one nice thing about this one is there is not a ton of dialogue in it. Right. I, there's a there's a fair amount, but it's not as much as other stuff necessarily. That's for sure. Um, but I definitely think that I, I definitely think that that can make it tough. I think sometimes to watch. Um, you know, I, and, and I feel a little guilty saying that because yes, I too laughed at the Oscar speech when uh, Bong Joon Ho said, "Hey, Americans, that little centimeter on the bottom is not going to keep you from enjoying good movies if you would just get over it." So, like, I get it, I understand, um, but also there is something to be said in a 21st century world to being able to multitask or being able to pay attention to other things while still consuming media, um, which that makes it hard because you have to be focused, laser focus on exactly what you're watching. Well, Um, and and also, you know, and and this is a kind of a, I guess, a commentary of where we find ourselves, but it wouldn't be as big of a deal for me to be switching between looking at what's happening on the screen and looking at that little, you know, look, it's not one centimeter on my 75 inch TV. Like the, yeah, the true. subtitles take up a, not only are they bigger than that, but it's, it's comparatively a bigger distance to take my eyes from what's happening in the center of the screen and look down at the bottom. And so that's another one of those reasons where I go, okay, I get it, but I'm trying to enjoy everything about this thing that you created for me. So let me look at it the whole time. Yeah. And I think if I was watching this on my iPad or on a computer monitor or something where it's much closer and things are more compact and everything, I don't think I would have felt that as much. But again, I'm, I'm spoiled. I was watching it on a big TV and it was a little, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't, it's not like it was hard. It wasn't distracting or anything, but I was looking down at the, there were a few times where I missed what was happening in the subtitles because I was looking at the screen itself. And so I missed a few little sure. bits of dialogue because I was, I was, I wasn't looking at the, at the subtitles. Sure. And you know, it, it helps that I've seen this movie, you know, at, at least half a dozen times, uh, right. it makes it a lot easier for me to not necessarily need to read every word and to really like soak in those details because there is a lot of careful detail in this movie and granted a lot of it is also kind of heavy handed, but not necessarily every time. Um, but there is a lot of imagery and repeated motifs, um, especially birth motifs and, and rebirth and all of those sorts of things comes up many times over the course of the film. Um, and so if I'm paying too much attention to what I'm reading, then I don't necessarily get all of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Um, so should we move to a spoiler section or is there anything else you want to say before we start the spoiler section? No, I think let's, let's jump in. Spoil. We're going to spoil it. We're going to spoil the heck out of it. So what'd you think about the end of this movie? Uh, I was afraid you were going to ask me that question. Um, cause it's like it was, a little messy. Yeah. I, it was weird. Yes. Um, I, and it wasn't, there are parts of it that weren't super clear. Okay. So we're at the end and we've got major who's kind of halfway mangled because she tore herself into pieces, trying to rip open the spider tank thing. And next to her, we've got cool scene, just absolutely so cool. And they freaking blew it in the live action version. It doesn't have nearly as much verve. I I, I don't even, it doesn't have nearly as much verve. 
Well, they were trying to make it PG-13 and it would be weird, I guess. I mean, if, that's you know. that that I think honestly is one of the biggest things that holds back the 2017 movie is that they're not able when they try to recreate shots straight out of the film of the 1995 film, they can't do it because they can't show viscera like that yeah. or boobs. Yeah. And so that's two that's that's two of the biggest things of that scene right out. Although I will say this, I did think it was interesting, just as an aside, um, in a way that I appreciated, the the boobs were 100% non-sexual in any way, shape, or yes. form. Yes. Like, completely. They're it was, present. It They're was not titillating. No, and it was like I actually was saying to, to Gareth when we were talking about it, because I said, oh, yeah, there's there's, you know, cartoon boobs in it. And then I said, but it's literally treated exactly the same as if it was a dude without his shirt on. Like hundred percent. Exactly. So anyway, just putting that aside that yeah, there are boobs, but literally they're just like, it's whatever it's, Hey, guess what? This is just like a part of the body. It's like, I have to tell people sometimes when they're getting all worked up about the fact that I need them to take the pants down because I'm a urologist. And I've actually said to people, I said, (laughs) look, I said, it is just another part of your body that sticks out, dude. It is exactly the same to me in this situation as if I was looking at your thumb. And as soon as I say that, they're like, oh, okay, sure. that's probably right. And then they'd pull their pants down, whatever. Um, well, and it's important. Like, I think the major treating her nudity as such a non-issue is an important part of her as a character and adds some interesting interplay with her and the other characters. Like again, that scene on the boat, she gets off the boat, she takes off her wetsuit and Bateau is like, who I can't, who can't be looking, can't be looking. But like, she wouldn't have cared yeah. because this is just her body to her is a tool. And that is all that it is throughout that film. And that is because she has made the conscious choice to put her mind into that body. And therein lies the difference between the way that the 2017 movie shows it's non nudity because it's a 20, it's a PG 13 movie. And so Scarlett Johansson is just in like a weird bodysuit sort of thing. But there's even a scene where she like starts taking off her clothes and Bateau's like, Oh, I can't look. And you're like, it doesn't work this way because she hasn't shown that she treats this body as a tool because she was forcibly put in it against her will. Like in the 2017 film, she's posited as a an anti-technology like cr- cr- like crust punk who gets put into a robot body. That's not good. What's good is that she made this choice for herself. She chose to become this, and that's why she treats her body the way that she does. It is a tool to her. That's why it's okay that she rips her body apart trying to complete the mission, because the mission is what matters to her. The body can be replaced, because the body is just a tool. It's the same as the gun she uses earlier. It's the same as the body armor she throws off earlier. That's all this is. Yeah, and I can see that, and and that makes sense. And I did think was a really interesting aspect of the movie. Um, and you know, you're there at the end and you've got kind of her in shreds and then you've got, um, the puppet master who's in this part of this body that got hit by a truck earlier and and all this other stuff, but you know, in this part of a body and they're trying to have their little mind meld thing. And then you've got Bateau up there and then, then there's snipers and, and there were just parts of it that weren't super clear. So like he puts his arm in front and then his arm kind of gets mangled, but then the head of the one gets mangled, but then her head doesn't. And it wasn't clear to me until 
after when you see, okay, well, the sniper, uh, anyway, I'm like, how did the sniper bullet blast Bateau's arm, but it didn't actually damage her head, but it knocked the head off. So the head is still there with the brain in it. And then all of a sudden, the next thing you know is you've got Major's head on a little girl's body. And that was weird. That was a weird choice and a different choice than the manga. In the manga, she gets put on a man's body. And then Bateau's like, oh, that's a man's body? Whoops, sorry. Because <laughs> he just like, there's a lot more to it. Like he he saves her and like has her brain in like a jaw, like a, like a, box essentially and she's like go get me a body and so he like mugs some crust punks and steals one of their cyber bodies that's very androgynous looks kind of like michael jackson and then he's like hey i got you this body and she's like thanks it's a guy's body and he's like whoops sorry didn't mean to do that um but so the way that i see it the way that i read that scene is that bateau puts his arm in front of her head and by putting his arm there it it makes the bullet ricochet. It's kind of a Hail Mary. Like it's the last <laughs> second, the last chance for him to do anything. Yeah. But basically he blows his arm off in order to try to protect her head. And it does. Yeah. I mean, I figured that out at the end. It just didn't feel like it, it was, it's not super clear. It's not super clear, but we, so I, I thought it was interesting in that the movie feels like it's, asking these questions. What does it mean to be alive? What is life? And starting to ask some questions back in 1995, and and I don't know if this is in the manga, but I'm assuming that to some degree it is. And so before that, really starting to ask questions that are questions that we either are or should be asking these days with, you know, people doing artificial intelligence research and this sort of thing. But like what constitutes what constitutes thought? What constitutes life? What constitutes? And so it asks these questions and kind of sets them up. And they're really difficult questions to answer, but I didn't feel like it ever even tried. Like it was almost like we're going to ask these hard questions and then we're going to realize that they're hard questions. And so we're just going to ignore and move on. And so it felt like I don't know. Felt like I, I wanted something. I wanted it to have an opinion, even if it wasn't the same opinion that maybe I was going to have or something, which I don't know what that opinion is. But I felt like it asked questions. And then personally, I wanted the movie to have more of an opinion than it did, or at least that I, okay. that it, that I, I didn't feel like if it has that opinion, I didn't feel like it communicated it to me very well. It doesn't. That is one of the things that I think is, uh, I don't know that it's the strength of the film, but I don't see it as a weakness. I understand why you do see it as a weakness for the film, but I don't see it as a weakness of the film to be like, because there aren't questions that have good answers. Just like you said, I don't 100%. know what my answers are. Yeah. Neither did neither did the guy who wrote this movie know what the answers were, which is why he was just like, these are all thoughts that I have. And to be fair, that's the way that, that Masmune is. He doesn't have the answers to that. The The comic ends like i say in a very similar note to where this film ends where it's like where it asks all those questions the major has merged with the puppet master and become some kind of gestalt being but she doesn't know what that means yet yeah and she doesn't know what the future holds for her especially now that she doesn't have the body that she used to have she doesn't have the resources the tools that she used to have but she does have this enhanced mental ability and the ability to grow and evolve in ways that no 
flesh being has ever been able to do before as the first melding of digital and physical uh, entity of, of digital and physical life. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it answers those questions at all. I think you're exactly right. It doesn't answer them. Um, and I kind of like that it doesn't answer them. Well, and, and I you know don't, the, and I agree with you on that part because again, I think these are such big picture questions that it would be almost trite if the movie came across as here's the big question and here's our answer about it. And that's why sure. I guess I said, I, I, I didn't want it to answer the question, but I wanted it to have more of an opinion. And I don't know in yeah. my head, there's a distinction there and maybe it's not clear, but I didn't necessarily want them to be like, you know, this is what we think the answer to that question is, but maybe give me a little bit more of, of the major now trying to wrestle with that. Let me know what is, you know, what is the majors, what are the majors thought processes now that she has undergone this melding with the puppet master? What is the result of that? Other than the fact that now she has access to, you know, the puppet master's near infinite capabilities of accessing information in the net and, and whatever else that's going to bring to her. But, you know, what was that experience like for her? What, what does she feel about herself now? Even if it, she doesn't have the answer and she just has more questions, I would like to have had her expressing a little bit more of that. I, I just, I wanted more sure. and, and I understand that, that that's not what, the anime or, you know, that the movie was, was going for. And I respect that. It wasn't something that made me go, Oh my gosh, you did a bad job movie. It just made me go, Oh, you movie. And I, we were looking for different things from this experience and that's okay. For sure. For sure. I think also that it contributes to that being a tone piece. Like I said, yes. because it just asks questions and doesn't answer them and leaves you with them when you're done. Leaves you to be like, well, what is the answer to those questions? I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, very much. Also, here's here's one thing that I got to say that I respect the hell out of this movie, especially versus the 2017 movie. Listener, it's 82 minutes long. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. (laughs) That was nice. 90 minutes or less is the sweetest sweet spot for a film. Two hours is... Ugh, and three hours is just, ugh, what are you doing to me? <laughs> Says the guy who th- four days ago was telling me, asking me if I had seen the Batman. And I was like, no, because it's three hours. I'm not sitting in a movie theater for three hours to watch that garbage. Solid, solid six and a half out of 10. Went to the bathroom <laughs> during a boring bar, boring part. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah, I no, agree I, with you. It feels, I, it I, did feel like it respected my time as the viewer, which I appreciated. And there's so, like you said, there's so many deliberate shots and so much time spent looking at the skyline, looking at the city, looking up through the buildings at the, at the sky and seeing things fly past. And all of those things add to this, like, it doesn't feel too short, even though it is 82 minutes, it doesn't feel like I wanted more of this. I wanted more of this. I wanted more of this. It like gets in and gets out exactly what you need uh, and and how you want it to be. I don't know. I really enjoy the the economy of the film 
uh, to say it that way. Yeah. It's an extremely economical film, even though it had a decently sized budget. Um, it wasn't huge. It was less than a million dollars American, but it works. It, yeah. like, it, it, it works does. for me. And, and like I but, say, I appreciated that because, um, look, there are times when I'm totally down for a, a long movie. There are rare times when I'm really down for a long movie, but there are times when I am. This was not fortunately, I mean, fortunately for me, this movie wasn't one of those movies because this was not one of those times. I would have had to spread it over multiple exactly. days. But, uh, you know, there it was interesting to me that even though it was only 82 minutes long, there were times where I still felt like it was a fairly empty movie. Like when I try okay. and think back on everything that happened... I'm like, it doesn't feel like there was enough to fill 82 minutes, yet it was still only 82 minutes. And if I then kind of go, well, no, but this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened, then I go, okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. That's 82 minutes. But again, it's just sort of this, that feeling. And I think that that comes back to, as you've put it, this being so much of a tone piece that a lot of this movie is more how did you feel about watching it rather than what were all the little nitty gritty details. And so I, I think at times that focus on the experiential aspect of the movie made it seem like there was less happening in it than there actually was. Sure. That makes sense. Um, yeah. And, but even the places where it does, get really like more heavy with its imagery of like pay attention to this like uh, one of the ones that sticks out to me is when the major is fighting against the spider tank um and she like does all those flips up the stairs and the spider tank is shooting behind her and like shoots all the way up this evolutionary tree yep um and lands on you know humans at the top of this evolutionary tree Again, it's pretty heavy handed because what you eventually see here is the next evolution of humanity in what the major decides to do with the puppet master. Um, But I don't know. That kind of imagery works for me in a way that, you know, I I don't know. It sells me on it. No, and I I appreciated that. And one of the things that I would catch myself and and I can't I can't think of specific examples. But I mean, it even felt like there was some meaning in any of the the billboards or business placards and things like that that you saw that had some English on there as well. I felt yes. like there was a lot of intentionality in in those and that they were very subtly part of kind of the whole setup and and the questions that the movie seems to be asking. So you know, again, very deliberate, like everything about this movie felt deliberate. And I respect that a lot. Even if I didn't love it, I really respected how deliberate everything was and that it never felt like anything was being done for a sensationalistic manner. Nothing Uh was trying to get any sort of rise out of the viewer. And even, you know, some of like the, the brutal violent scenes of which there are not that many, but there are some, I mean, there's some bodies that basically explode cause they get shot and stuff. 
But it was sure. never really sensationalistic in that way. It wasn't like, oh, look at the gore. It was like, oh, that dude's dead. And now we're moving on. So yeah, I, sure. I, again, I really respected that intentionality and the very deliberate nature of it. Well, and one of the things that I really like about Ghost in the Shell is its legacy as a piece of media. Because if you watch Ghost in the Shell, you say, oh, so that's where the Wachowskis got it. And then you watch The Matrix. Uh-huh. <laughs> There are so much of the tone and the feel that you get in that first Matrix movie that is so clearly influenced by this film. Like, this this film births the Matrix. Um, and granted, the Matrix goes a lot of me- messy places in its sequels, but that first Matrix movie remains a tight... In a, a, a lot of the things that you were saying about Ghost in the Shell, it is deliberate, there are no wasted scenes. It is tight. It is planned. It, it has a tone that it sticks to. As much as I love Morpheus fighting with the samurai sword on the, uh, on the bridge against the weird albino twins in Matrix Reloaded, The Matrix is the best of those movies. Like, it is so tightly constructed. And I can see the influence of the 1995 Ghost in the Fil- Shell film on that which makes it all the more interesting to go watch the 2017 film because I feel like it learned all the wrong lessons from its, you know, its preceding animated film from the matrix from Blade Runner, because it takes from all of those and does it in a very quotidian and poor way. Like, I mean, I was telling you before we started that my, my notes on watching the, uh, to be fair, I, so last night I sit down, I watched the 1995 film and I'm like, this movie freaking rules. I love it. I throw in Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. I watched the first four episodes of that and I'm like, <laughs> this show rules. It, it it immediately is faster and far less of a tone piece. Like it is immediately, this is a show for teenage boys, like immediately. But it's such a good one of those. And like, so even though there's no nudity, it immediately feels way more male gazy when it comes to the major's body and like, but like the soundtrack rules and the action is really exciting. And most importantly, a thing that is entirely missing from this film that is in the TV show and is in the comics are the Tachikoma, which you don't know what that means because the Tachikoma aren't in this movie. They're your comic relief side characters who are weird AIs who live in weird tiny versions of the spider tanks <laughs> and who work okay. with and who work and, and, and who are good guys. The Tachikoma are the Section 9 employees, but they're like weird AIs that like every so often decide to go on strike. And so the major has to try to convince them to not go on strike and try to get like more robot rights and stuff like they're they're a weird like funny side character, um, which is why they're obviously not in this movie, which does not have any of that, which is such a serious and somber, uh, uh, you know, tone to it. It doesn't surprise me. The Tachikoma aren't there, but like, so what you're saying is that these guys are like the house elves of the ghost in the shell series. I would say actually, (laughs) I'm just kidding. I, I, I would say the best, uh, the best version is they're droids. They're yeah. droids. Yeah. Totally. Because what are C3PO and R2D2? They are sentient beings who are enslaved. Droids 
are the enslaved beings of the Star Wars universe and every single Star Wars society is evil because they own droids and that is a topic for another day. <laughs> when that was that was one of my biggest complaints. T- tangent, that's one of my biggest complaints with that dumb solo movie. They were like, "Oh, Droid Revolution? Droid Revolution? What a good idea. Let's backpedal from that immediately. No! That was a good idea. They're enslaved beings. And here we have this Galactic Republic that's like, we're the good guys. No, you're not. You enslave people. Both in your outer planets, like Anakin on Tatooine, but then Anakin turns around and owns (laughs) R2-D2. What are you doing, bro? You two-faced bastards, stop owning that kid. He deserves to live. (laughs) <laughs> anyway that's what the the Tachikoma are droids and they serve the same function that the droids often serve in the Star Wars movies which is being funny side characters or ones who basically like break the fourth wall to a certain degree and like look at you and be like isn't this stupid because they'll say that to each other um, so I watched Standalone Complex it's got the Tachikomas in it I love it and then I turned on the 2017 movie I made it about 15 minutes in and then I was like no <laughs> And so I had to go back and rewatch it this morning. It was yeah, it's, my it's, my notes are filled. My notes are filled with swear words um, about how I felt about this film, <laughs> because part of the problems with the 2017 movie is this. Like I say, it learned all of the wrong things from The Matrix and Blade Runner because it tries so hard to be like The Matrix. And even when it does like because there are a few scenes where it tries to ape the exact shots from the anime yeah. does not work. I know does that. not work. Like, you know, that's the fight scene where the major has her optical camo and they're fighting in that like knee deep water. Uh-huh. Like was clearly supposed to be in the in the Scarlett Johansson film like this big like, "Whoa, isn't this so cool?" and it doesn't work at all. But it works so well. And again, I think part of it comes down to just like the weird kind of like crunchy 80s 90s tech that you see in the 1995 film like why does the major always have to wear this like weird oculus on her face Uh why is she wearing an oculus quest all the time because that's what she does to like have better vision because she doesn't have bateau eyes bateau doesn't need them because bateau just put those suckers straight into his face Uh um but you know you see her wearing that and then like this weird like uh shawl to help make her invisible as opposed to like this like sexy slinky cat suit which is what you see in the uh scarlett johansson film also can i just say scarlett johansson is not a good actor has she ever been a good actor i don't remember (laughs) was she ever good in anything because she's not good in this i don't know again i maybe have different or lower standards than you i quite like her in um, the marvel stuff for the most part i do i'm fine with that I mean, I remember, I remember watching that Black Widow movie and being like, "This is okay." Yelena is way better. Florence Pugh is a way better actress, so I'm excited that she's going to be in more of these. Hopefully. Oh yeah. Um, Did you ever see? Florence Hawkeye? Pugh's great. Uh, I watched the first episode, but I didn't get around to the rest of it. But I should because oh. I know that oh. Yelena's in it. No, not just Yelena, dude. Yelena and Kate Bishop together, dream team. I mean, those two playing off each other is one of the things that I am most looking forward to in future Marvel project of some sort. I don't care what it is. Kate Bishop, Yelena Belova together 
forever. I'll stand those two until I die. Good to know. I really like both of those actresses. I think Haley Steinfeld is great in almost everything I've ever seen her in. Oh, she I is think Florence so Pugh good. Is, she is so good. I think Florence Pugh is great. So I love to hear that their interplay is good. Um, and I will probably have to finish watching it because I really enjoy those two actresses. And I like both. I like Kate Bishop. She's my Hawkeye. I don't like Clint Barton. I don't care about him. It was good when he was dead. <laughs> you'll, I think. Sorry, you'll like, not sorry. No, I think you'll like some of the scenes a lot. And I think it's the fifth and then the sixth episode with, um, with Yelena and with, uh, with Kate Bishop. There's a, a great scene. Um, I'll just say it involves sriracha and macaroni and cheese. And it is All right. wonderful. So I'm anyway, sold. I guess I'll have little, to watch that. We got a little, we got a little off, but no, like I say, I, I've I think, never been wowed by Scarlett Johansson where I'm like, holy cow, that was an amazing performance. Um, but I like her quite a lot as black widow, but mm, yeah, I mean, I guess again, I wouldn't say that uh, it's ever because I've been wowed by her. I just, I thought she was good in that role, but it wasn't a super deep role. Sure. Um, and to, to wrap up my talk about the 2017 film, part of the reason I think that it fails. So, well, first off, is she a good fighter or not? Because in one scene, she's an incredible fighter who's taking dudes out like nobody's business. And then in the next scene, she gets like just mugged by some schlubs in a basement. And you're like, is she supposed to be the most advanced or like cyborg to ever live because you certainly didn't show me that when she just got mugged by these fools so that kuze can talk to her like what are you doing yeah so that's part of my problem with that film is she a great fighter or not decide film and then do one of them one of them doesn't make sense given what everything else i know about this character um so that was silly um but the other problem is i mentioned at the start when i was talking about my relationship with this uh media property that the first season of standalone complex is very good and the second season of standalone complex loses its way in a lot of really sad ways and one of the biggest reasons it loses its way so badly is because of a little character we'll call kuze who is motoko's best friend when they were kids okay. and that's stupid as hell nobody gives a shit about the major's past and no one should ever give a shit about the major's past <laughs> But that is the whole point of the 2017 movie. Yeah. It's, oh, she doesn't know who she is. She's trying to figure out who she is. It's so much more interesting for the major to know who she is, but not what is the meaning of me being who I am. Yeah. You know? Again, part of my problem with the 2017 movie is she is forcibly put in this body against her. I mean, also, I have a problem with them putting whiteface essentially on a character named Motoko Kusanagi and turning her into Mira Killian, the major who's a white woman in Japan for some reason. What? I didn't What's even the deal there? The name was changed. Yeah. Cause she's not Japanese anymore. She's now a white lady who's made by a French lady in Japan because why not international time or different in past post world war four, I guess. But like, why did you, put a Japanese woman's brain in a white woman so that she could go have touching conversations with her Japanese mom. What is going on here? What are you doing? But so 
again, they forcibly put her brain into this body. They've tried it many times before, and it's the first time it took. And she's like an, a crust punk techno anarchist. No, she is a cop. And she was like, what are the best tools? How can I get the best tools and be the best cop? Oh, completely replacing my body? That's fine. It'll make me a better cop. These are deliberate choices that Motoko Kusanagi makes in both the comic and in the 1995 film. That's She is who she is because she chose to be that. And that is integral to her then questioning, what is my place in the world? Who am I really? Because she knows who she is. It's not like this big mystery. She's Motoko Kusanagi. She was born Motoko Kusanagi. She had some parents that, whose last name was probably Kusanagi too. Like, it was a choice for her to become who she is. Yeah, and that's that an important part, sense. I think, of that, that's an important part of who I of, of I think why it asks the questions that it asks because we are who we choose to be, but what does that mean? That's the point of you know the 1995 film. We are who we choose to be, but what does that mean? What is the point of the choices that we make? Yeah. Whereas you know the 2017 film is, I was a weird homeless person and then I was sad and then they, the evil corporation attacked me and put my brain in this sexy Johansson body. It was bad. Yeah, anyway, I didn't even remember any of those parts. I knew it was different than this, but it was. Yeah, I didn't remember it because it was not memorable. Introducing the major's past automatically makes Ghost in the Shell less interesting. You can quote me on that, um, but <laughs> it's we should. Right there. It's on the box for the it's, 2017 yeah. movie. It's on the box. It's right. And Braden says and second gig and yes, there we go. Second second gig colon. Why did you ruin this? <laughs> um, anyway, we should wrap up. You know, we've taken plenty of time. Uh, I will say, if you like Ghost in the Shell, go watch Standalone Complex. At least the first season. It's really good. If you didn't like Ghost in the Shell. Go watch The Matrix. You know what movie freaking rules? The Matrix. You know, as you were talking about it, I realized I could not tell you how long it's been since I last saw The Matrix. It's, it's entirely possible that it has been since 1999, since I've seen The Matrix. You should go You should go watch The Matrix this weekend. It's good. It's an yeah. extremely good movie. Yeah. I, I Don't I watch the other ones. Just no, watch the first one. No, no, no. I had no intention of watching the other ones, but... I will say this, it was good to talk about it because I actually feel like, I don't know if I'd say I enjoyed it more, but I have more positive feelings about the movie having talked about it with you than I did when I finished watching it. So I actually really like that. So thank you. Well, I think this was a great convo and I'm glad that, I, I'm glad to have had this experience with you. Even if you didn't love the film, I didn't expect you to love it, um, but I wanted to share it with you because it's the thing that I really do love. Um, for a lot of reasons, um, but I have very particular tastes, and well, it is good that. cyberpunk. Yeah, and I, and I appreciate it. Like I say, one of one of my motivations in us doing this podcast was that I knew you would bring to the table some things that I either hadn't or otherwise would not seek out myself. And you know, I, I'm not going to lie and say I'm the most open-minded person in the world, but I'd like to think that I'm open-minded enough to say. Hey, you know what? Here's something somebody else likes that I don't know anything about. I want to know about it. So that at the very least, my opinion is not ignorant or completely ignorant. So no, I, well, I enjoyed true. it and I appreciate it. 
And that's true for me as well. You know, I would have not watched the Dune movie uh, if we hadn't watched it for the pod. And I really enjoyed it. And I'm now, you know, two thirds of the way through the book. And uh, maybe I like Dune. Maybe I like Dune. Dune's awesome. The first book, Dune, I'm, I'm is awesome. I'm quickly being convinced to that. I'm quickly being convinced that that is, in fact, true. And that maybe, you know, those people in the 1960s who bought it and then it got sold out because it was published by a map maker or something like that, that first edition, whatever. I get I get the hype now. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good movie and a pretty good book. Yeah, it is. Um, Just but yeah, don't read the rest. We should, uh, <laughs> I mean, I probably won't. They're too fat. I don't have time for that. Yeah, good idea. So many other things to read. Anyway, we should wrap up, uh, but thank you all for listening. Um, tell your friends to listen and uh, go leave a review if you feel so inclined. And uh, um, one of the things I, I mentioned um, in the other podcasts that I do, and it's the same for this one, in addition to leaving reviews or whatever, at the website in the middledistance.com, there is a contact email. And so people are welcome to send us an email through that, and uh, we'll take comments, questions, suggestions, whatever. Send whatever you want there. What we do with it, well, it's up to us, but you can send whatever the heck you want to it. As, as a closing benediction and a uh, tying a bow on last episode where we talked about uh, first-person shooter games, my good friend Darren is a listener to the podcast, and he sent me his personal list of top fives and a, and a real glaring omission in our list's uh, poked out to me, and I think it's because neither of us probably had this console or played it. Played it. Goldeneye. Uh, Metroid. Pr- oh. Metroid Prime. You know, I I got the Metroid. I'm not a Prime Nintendo trilogy. kid. I, I got the Metroid Prime trilogy for the Wii, and the controls just didn't agree with me, and so I never got through it. But I know people love it. Very highly uh, highly respected game, and I know people are super thrilled about more in that uh, in that setting. So who knows? Maybe one day I'll get to it. I'm not a Nintendo kid. I'm not ever going to play them. More power to folks who like them. I ain't got the time for that. <laughs> I guess I'm too busy. I guess I'm too busy playing 20, Cyberpunk 2077, which is what I am going to do as soon as we finish this call. I hear it's a pretty big game, so there's <laughs> lots of time to spend in it. So, Look, I met Judy, and clearly I've got my V has got to romance Judy. I'm, I'm hearing wedding bells already. Judy's great. <laughs> Anyway, I have no idea uh, we should wrap up. Thank yet. you. She, she's one of the characters. You'll meet her too. Um, you can only romance her if you're a lady V though. So keep that in mind. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Judy, lesbian only. Women love women only for, for Judy. Not player sexual like so many other games. Um, anyway, we should finish this podcast. Thanks Let's for uh, chatting with me today, Peter. Thank you. And, and again, thanks for the recommendation. It was fun to... Uh, to check out something that I've heard about that I have been tangentially aware of, but had never experienced for myself. And uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a brand new episode. As soon as we end this call, Peter's going to tell me what it is. And I'm excited to see <laughs> uh, what, what uh, mysteries lie ahead for us. So thank you all for listening. Thanks guys. Thanks guys.